0: Crunched up, tears in her eyes. Daddy, she sobbed. He put his hand down to hug her, still shaving with his other hand. Eliza, will you cut it out? Sue called. At this, Eliza cried more loudly. Sanders hated to see his daughter cry. Okay, Sue, I'll feed them, Sanders called. He turned off the water and scooped up his daughter. He went out into the hallway. Susan looked relieved just need ten minutes, that's all, she said. Consuela is late again. I don't know what's the matter with her. Sanders didn't answer her. His son, Matt, who was nine months old, sat in the middle of the hallway, banging his rattle and crying. Sanders scooped him up in his other arm. Come on, kids, he said. Let's go eat. His daughter looked at him with serious eyes. Is this going to be one of those days, Daddy? Yeah, it looks like it. He walked down the stairs, thinking he would miss the ferry and that he would be late for the first meeting of the day. It meant he wouldn't be able to go over things with Stephanie before they started, but perhaps he could call her from the ferry. He dropped his daughter on a chair at the kitchen table, dragged the high chair over, and placed Matt in it. Dad? What? I want Mommy to be happy. Me too, honey. Sanders glanced over his shoulder. Almost eight o'clock. He should call the office. Susan came in, her face relaxed. I'm sorry I lost it, she said. Thanks for taking over. She kissed him on the cheek. Are you happy, Mom? Eliza said. Yes, sweetie. Susan smiled at her daughter and turned back to Tom. I'll take over now. You don't want to be late. Isn't today the big day? When they announce your promotion? I hope so. Call me as soon as you hear. I will. Sanders got up and headed upstairs to get dressed. He would have to hurry to make the 820 ferry. He parked and strode quickly to the ferry. He went up to the main deck. Hey, Tom! He looked over his shoulder. Dave Benedict was coming up behind him. Benedict was a lawyer with a firm that handled a lot of high-tech companies. Missed the 752, huh? Benedict asked. Yeah, crazy morning. Tell me. I wanted to be in the office an hour ago, but now that school's out, Jenny doesn't know what to do with the kids until camp starts. Uh Uh-huh. Madness at my house, Benedict said. There was a pause. Sanders sensed that he and Benedict had had a similar morning, but the two men did not discuss it further. Sanders often wondered why it was that women discussed the most intimate details of their marriages with their friends, while men maintained a discreet silence with one another. Sanders took out his cellular phone and called in. His assistant, Cindy Wolf, answered. Hi, it's me. Hi, Tom. You on the ferry? Yes. I'll be in a little before nine. Okay. He's pretty busy this morning. Mr. Garvin was just here looking for you. Sanders frowned. Something's up, Tom. What? Nobody's telling me anything, she said. Thanks, Cindy. He pushed the end button to terminate the call. Benedict pointed to Sanders' phone. Those things are amazing. You guys made that one? Sanders nodded. I'd be lost without it. It's got a memory for 200 numbers. You store them by the first three letters of the name. He punched in K-A-H to bring up the international number for Arthur Khan in Malaysia. He pushed send and heard a long string of electronic beeps. Digicom's Malaysia operation was only a year old and it was manufacturing the company's new CD-ROM players, similar to an audio CD player but intended for computers. Most CD-ROMs were notoriously slow. Digicom's new ones, however, codenamed Twinkle, were twice as fast as any in the world. But now the Malaysia plant was having trouble manufacturing the new fast drives. The call rang through. There was a click, and a voice said, Hello? Arthur, it's Tom. Tom, good. You got my fax? Yes. And then, you know, I don't understand what's going on, Con said. And I spent all day on the line. I had to with Jafar gone. Mohammed Jafar was the line foreman of the Malaysia plant, a very capable young man. Jafar is gone? Why? Uh, he was cursed, so he left. What? Yeah, if you can believe that. He says his cousin cursed him, and he ran off to the witch doctors for a counterspell. Well, how long will that take? Probably a week or so. And what's wrong with the line, Arthur? I don't know, Conn said. I'm not sure anything is wrong with the line, but the units are coming very slow. Well, what about the screen flicker? I think it's a design problem, Tom. We just can't build it. Sanders frowned. You'd better send me some units. I already have. You'll get them late today. Sanders sighed. Great. Who else have you told? Nobody. This one's all yours, my friend. <laughs> you know, thanks a lot. Are you going to bury this until after the merger, or what? I don't know. I'm not sure I can. Well, I'll be quiet at this end. Thanks, Arthur. I'll talk to you later. Sanders hung up. Twinkle definitely presented a political problem for the impending merger with Conley White, but he would have to deal with it soon enough. The ferry whistle blew, and up ahead he saw the skyscrapers of downtown Seattle. Sanders got to the fourth floor at nine in the morning and immediately sensed that something was wrong. There was a tension in the air. Staffers turned away or stopped talking when he walked by. He thought, uh-oh. Sanders walked on, angry that he was late. Through the glass walls of the fourth floor conference room, he saw Mark Lewin, the 33-year-old head of product design, briefing some of the Conley White people. When Lewin saw Sanders, he waved and stuck his head out the door. Hi, guy, Lewin said. Hi, Mark. I have just one thing to say, Lewin said. Fuck him. Fuck Garvin. Fuck the merger. It's not right what they're doing. I'm with you on this one, guy. And he went back into the conference room. Sanders walked quickly toward his office with a sense of deepening unease. No promotion. He took a deep breath and walked on. With this reorganization, Sanders might be facing more than a demotion. He might be out of a job. Christ. He reached his office, expecting to find Stephanie Kaplan, the chief financial officer, waiting there for him. Kaplan could tell him what was going on, but his office was empty. He turned to his assistant, Cindy Wolf. Where's Stephanie? She's not coming. They cancelled your 9.30 meeting because of all the personnel changes, Cindy said. What changes, Sanders said? What's going on? There's been some kind of reorganization, Cindy said. She avoided meeting his eyes and looked down at the call book on her desk. They just scheduled a private lunch with all the division heads in the main conference room and Phil Blackburn is on his way down to talk to you. Let's see, Don Cherry called twice about the corridor And you just got a rush call from Eddie in Austin. Call it back. Eddie Larson was the production supervisor in the Austin plant, which made cellular telephones. Hey there, Tommy boy, Sanders heard. Hi, Eddie, what's up? Is it true they're going to shut down the Austin plant? What? That's what they're saying down here. Conley White's going to buy the company and then shut us down. It's just a rumor, Eddie, so forget it. There was a knock on the door. Sanders saw Phil Blackburn standing there. Eddie, I have to go. Call me if anything changes. Sanders hung up the phone. His first impression was that the lawyer was smiling too broadly, behaving too cheerfully. It was a bad sign. Philip Blackburn, the chief legal counsel for Digicom, was a slender man of 46, wearing a dark green Hugo Boss suit. Like Sanders, Blackburn had been with Digicom for over a decade, which meant that he was one of the old guys. In earlier years, Sanders and Blackburn had been close friends. Not only had they grown up with the company, but their lives were intertwined personally as well. When Blackburn went through his bitter divorce in 1985, he lived for a while in Sanders' bachelor apartment in Sunnyvale, and a year later, Blackburn had been best man at Sanders' own wedding to a young lawyer, Susan Handler. But their relationship became strained. Perhaps it was inevitable. Blackburn was a part of a new inner power circle in Cupertino, in Northern California, to which Sanders, based in Seattle, no longer belonged. Now Sanders and Blackburn greeted each other with the wariness of former friends. "'What's going on, Phil?' "'Big day,' Blackburn said, settling into a chair. "'Bob has decided to go outside the Advanced Products Group for leadership of its division.' So there it was. No promotion, Sanders thought. No raise. Blackburn said, Bob has decided that Meredith Johnson is going to head up the division. Sanders frowned. Meredith Johnson? Right. She's in the Cupertino office. I think you know her. Yes, but... Sanders shook his head. Meredith's from sales. The APG is a technical division. Bob doesn't expect her to run it directly. She'll uh, oversee the APG division managers who will report to her, as well as the marketing division and the telecom division. It sounds like Meredith Johnson's going to be running this company. Well, I wouldn't go that far, Blackburn said. But I think there is no question Bob has placed her in direct line for succession when he steps down as CEO sometime in the next two years. She'll have four APG division managers reporting to her, Sanders said. You know, and who are those managers going to be? Well, the actual decision will be Meredith's. So it's Meredith Johnson's decision whether I keep my job. Well, technically, Blackburn said. Sanders sat back. If Garvin decided to turn the company over to some woman from sales, that was certainly his choice. But Garvin could still make sure he kept his division heads in place, the heads who had served him and the company so well. "'Jesus,' Sanders said. "'I've been with this company twelve years. "'And I expect you will be with us many more,' Blackburn said smoothly. "'Listen, I know you're disappointed that this appointment didn't come to you. "'But Meredith isn't going to make any changes. "'You know the way she is, Tom.' "'I used to,' Sanders said, nodding. "'Hell, I practically lived with her for a while. "'But I haven't seen her in years.' When Sanders first met Meredith Johnson, almost ten years earlier, she was a pretty saleswoman working in San Jose, doing product demos. Meredith didn't have any deep knowledge, but she didn't need to. She was good-looking, sexy, and smart. Sanders had admired her, but he never imagined that she had the ability to hold a major corporate position. Blackburn shrugged. A lot's happened in ten years, Tom, he said. Meredith got an MBA, she worked at some major corporations, and then she came to work with us. The last couple of years, she's been working very closely with Garvin, sort of his protege. He's been pleased with her work on a number of assignments. And now she's my boss. Is that a problem for you? Blackburn asked. No, it just seems funny. Is there a problem reporting to a woman? Not at all, it's just... "'Funny to think of Meredith Johnson as my boss. "'She's an impressive and accomplished manager,' Phil said. "'He stood up. "'Give her a chance, Tom. "'Of course. "'And keep your eye on the future. "'After all, you should be rich in a year or so. "'Does that mean we're still spinning off the APG division?' "'Oh, yes, absolutely.' It was planned that after Conley White bought Digicom, the Advanced Products Division would spin off and go public as a separate company. That would mean enormous profits for everyone in the division, because they could buy cheap options before the stock was publicly sold. But we're working out the final details now, Blackburn said. Well, the spin-off will happen within eighteen months. And there's no chance that Meredith may change the plan? Not at all, Tom. I'll tell you a little secret. Originally, the spin-off was Meredith's idea. Blackburn returned to his office and called Garvin. I talked to Tom Sanders. And? I'd say he took it well. And the new structure, how'd he respond? Well, he's concerned, Blackburn said. He doesn't feel she has the technical expertise to run the division. Garvin snorted. Technical expertise, that's the last goddamn thing I care about. Technical expertise is not an issue here. Of course not, but I think there was some uneasiness on a personal level. You know, they once had a relationship. Yes, Garvin said, I know that. Well, he'll come around. I think so. Tell me if you hear otherwise, Garvin said, and hung up. Tom Sanders sat at his desk, lost in thought. He was trying to put together his memory of a pretty young saleswoman in Silicon Valley with this new image of a corporate officer. But his thoughts kept being interrupted by random images from the past. Meredith smiling, wearing one of his shirts naked beneath it, an open suitcase on the bed. He glanced up. Cindy was standing in the doorway, Don Cherry called while you were with Phil. He wants you to come and look at the corridor. Are they having problems? I don't know. He sounded excited. I'll go down to see him in a minute. She nodded and left. Tom's thoughts returned to Meredith Johnson. Tom walked down the steps to the third floor, curious to see what Don Cherry's team had done with the corridor. The corridor was what everyone at Digicon called V-I-E.